You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm a little tired, which means uh, I'm going to spend this week sleeping in preparation for our 1.45 a.m. start time of UFC Shanghai, Saturday yeah, morning. That, that's going to be one for the hard course. Is that your way of saying that there's no way you're going to watch this? Um, Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. I'll probably catch a replay. No reason to watch it live. Unless, I guess, you have to for work purposes. We have different jobs. I'll just say that. Yes, we do. We have different jobs. But, uh, yeah, it's a surprising uh, main event there. Michael Bisping and Kelvin Gastelum uh, going to do the damn thing over there in Shanghai. I know that gets your, your juices flowing. Now, see, for that one, I think if you wanted to just catch up, you know, wake up just in time to catch the main event, you may be looking at what, like 5, 6 a.m. Saturday morning? You know what? I'll probably you, be up anyway. You'll be up. Yeah, I'll probably be up anyway holding a baby. So maybe I'll just drag the laptop out into the living room, fire up the old uh, the old fight pass. And once you whisper in that baby's ear that Michael Bisping and Kelvin Gastelum are about to get it on, you'll have that baby's full undivided attention. I'll probably say his first words. Which will be, stop. Shut it off. <laughs> Well, after this week, there's only one week left to win yourself some free stuff from the CME's longtime sponsors at Fulton & Rourke as part of the Great Movember Grooming and Styling Contest. Remember that every week during the month of November, we're giving away some Fulton & Rourke men's grooming products to the listener who shows the most ingenuity, creativity, and stick to with their whole facial grooming area. Fulton & Rourke is sponsoring the contest to remind us all that November is the month we all pause to raise awareness around a number of serious men's health issues, including prostate and testicular cancer, but that doesn't mean we can't express ourselves and even have a little fun doing it. This week, we're pleased to announce that the third winner of the Great November Grooming and Styling Contest is Eric Murphy, who sent along a tasteful black and white, kind of artsy, of his uh, mustache and goatee combo with a note reading, spoiler alert, my girlfriend hates this, maybe she just isn't an Alan Moore fan, or possibly I look like I belong on some sort of registry. So for that, Eric is going to get a gift set full of Fulton and Rourke products mailed directly to his door. And I saw on Twitter that week one winner Andrew Millington has already received his, so it uh, looks like the prize packs are starting to roll out. As for the rest of you, you're running out of time to win the great Movember grooming and styling contest and score yourself some free stuff from Fulton and Rourke. All you got to do is tweet a picture of your facial hair to me and Ben. That's at Chad Dundas and at Ben Folks MMA. And once a week, we're going to pick a winner with the most inspiring quaff. Announce it on the podcast. And that guy is going to get some free Fulton and Rourke product for his face and maybe his filthy body. If you aren't active on social media, don't worry. Just email a picture to comaineventpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. And it works just the same. And remember, you can support cancer research, treatment, and prevention with anything you buy from Fulton and Rourke.com, where 15% of this month's proceeds will be donated to those worthy causes. You know, I feel like if you're rocking a mustache-goatee combo and your girlfriend doesn't hate it, you might want to reconsider your choice of girlfriend. Either, either she's really, really supportive, or maybe she's just kind of mentally checked out. Maybe she just wants to close her eyes and pretend that you're Stone Cold Steve Austin. Did you ever think about that? Every day. 
Every day I think about it. Ben, Dundasso shirts are back in stock just no in way. time for Christmas. There's no way that's even possible, Jack, because they disappeared forever. It's a Christmas miracle, my friend. Oh, okay. All right. The miracle, I guess, would be if we never had to hear about it again. Uh, so the folks that are interested can head over to CottonBureau.com and check out those Dundasso shirts. I believe they're available for nine or ten more days. And after that, Ben, as you know, gone forever. Yeah. That's really... Really sad to think about. Kaiser Sose style, just Yep. If the usual suspects made like seven more movies. We got music this week, once again, from our friend The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear, you can check him out on Twitter, at The Fifth Element, or on Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. And as you know, that's the letter A in the word the... As always, if you enjoy the co-main event podcast, you can do us a serious solid by rating, reviewing, or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to the show on. That stuff really does help our ranking and our rating, so lend us a hand if you've got a few minutes and write us a review. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, how can Fabricio Verdun be so smooth in the cage and such a damn train wreck outside it? And in round number two, Kelvin Gastelum says Michael Bisping is a much, much bigger fight than Anderson Silva, which is maybe the saddest commentary of all about 2017. And round number three, what on earth is happening with UFC 219? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. So, Ben, things have gotten out of hand. <laughs> you mean with the, the name choices in this week's listener mail? Now that... Noted Simpsons character, Clancy Wiggum. Chief Wiggum. Chief Wiggum has written us a uh, missive here to the podcast. Uh, I think we can declare that things have officially gotten out of hand. I guess, is it that people are worried that having their actual name associated with a question read on the Coin Event podcast would make them too famous? Yeah, I think they're worried. They would break up their marriage. They would never be able to go outside, go to the grocery store again. How are you going to walk through the shopping mall when people have heard you, your name? Your very name mentioned on the Coman Event podcast. You would you would have to live the life of a shut-in. Nobody wants that, and so they think, all right, what's a humorous character and or professional soccer player? Members of the opposite sex would be getting hit by cars in their hurry to rush across the street and <laughs> clutch at your garments, right? Yeah, you can't have people clutching at your garments all the time. First message this week comes to us from Heavy Sigh, Clancy Wiggum. Suffice to say, one of Will Brooks, or one Will Brooks, has been having a tough UFC run. Three straight finishes, and none of them were against ranked guys. It's just shocking to see this guy, who was so good in Bellator, struggle so much. Combine those losses with his, quote, uh, less than aesthetically pleasing style, and the fact that lightweight is so stacked. Do you think it's possible uh, that this is the end of the road in the UFC for Mr. Brooks? Ben, what do you think? Does uh, Will Brooks wind up back in Bellator on a... Uh, a lesser contract than the one he had when he left? I guess it's possible, but even he took a lesser contract to come to the UFC, did he not? Or that's what he claimed at one point? Uh, well, uh, was that what it was? Yeah, he took less money to come over and be the be the I, guy. I, I could UFC. be remembering that wrong, but I don't. it, it would be kind of dire to go back to Bellator right now if you're Will Brooks, but I'm not saying it's not going to happen. The thing that is baffling to me is that you look at him you know, in some of these fights and you think, these ought to be winnable fights for Will Brooks. Like, he's a good fighter. Yeah, and he can go out there and physically perform, and then it just seems like, I don't know if he's mistake-prone or if it's a problem in fight IQ, but like Nick Lentz, he ought to beat Nick Lentz. It looked like he was going to beat Nick Lentz, and then he goes and he gets himself choked. I mean, 
is it just a an instance of a guy who can't quite put it together like he needs to on fight night? Or did we think he was better than he actually was because of his record in Bellator? Uh, that's a great question. Three stoppage losses in a row now for Will Brooks after he got his uh, a win over Ross Pearson, although by a unanimous decision uh, during his UFC debut. Is, is Will Brooks just snake bit? Is there any way to explain this? I mean, I guess you have to have the conversation about was he really as good as we thought he was back in Bellator and or is it just like a weird twist of fate that he's he has been snake bit in these last several UFC uh, appearances? Well, you look at the the three losses, you know, the one there's Alex Oliveira who came in like, you know, five or six pounds overweight and looked way bigger than him in, in the fight and seemed to kind of dominate him physically with help from that. Then against Charles Oliveira, he gets caught in that uh, rear naked choke and that one seemed like, all right, maybe you screwed up and he made you pay with one. Uh, and then this one with Nick Lentz, where it looks like you know, he's he's doing pretty well and is got Nick Lentz a little bloodied up. And maybe, I don't know, maybe he felt like he had seen that choke, the, the guillotine choke attempt already earlier in the fight and wasn't too worried about it. But he shoots right into it, gets himself stuck in it, and has to tap. And you just think, I mean, Nick Lentz obviously has a good guillotine. Everybody knows that one thing about him. Uh, he can grapple. He's he's not a, a gimme fight for anybody. But if you're in a stacked division like this in the UFC and you can't go out there and beat the Nick Lenses of the world, where do you go from there? Yeah, the this is not the division where you want to put yourself uh, behind the eight ball for sure. Just to think, Nick or uh, Will Brooks at one point nineteen and one in his UFC career, including nine and one in Bellator. He had the one knockout loss to Saad Awad, uh, but then avenged that loss later on and had two wins over Michael Chandler, one by split decision and one by TKO. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss here, man. The Will Brooks just turned 31 years old. So he should still be right in his athletic prime. And he's just, it kind of seems like he just keeps fumbling away these UFC chances. Although that said, Ben, as we said uh, on the topic of him going back to Bellator, like if you're, this might be one of those cases where if you are, uh, the UFC, you just don't want to give Bellator the chance to snap this guy up again, right? Really? Does Bellator really want him? Like, I mean, Bellator would probably take him just because it's the situation Bellator is in. But if you think about it, if you're Bellator, he's kind of damaged goods now. If he comes in and starts winning, then it makes your lightweight division look weaker because true, he exited true. the UFC, you know, one in three on a three fight skid with all the stoppages. If he does come over and beat Michael Chandler again, like let's say he just has Michael Chandler's number then how do you make the case that you still, like this is one of the few divisions where because there's so much talent to go around, Bellator could kind of credibly make a case like, hey, like our, our lightweights are also really, really good. But it gets a lot tougher if a guy who can't clearly can't hack it in the UFC comes over and just hacks the shit out of it in Bellator. <laughs> yeah, I'm at a loss, man, to be honest with you. This is one of the strangest like plummets from, from near the top that I can recall. Uh, Johnny Hendricks-esque fall from the top for Will Brooks. Next question this week comes to us from the Catman Jones. Okay. That's a real person. Sounds name. it's hyphenated. So I assume that they've been married. Uh, they write. So just as he was unexpectedly right it rising through the ranks and probably getting a title shot. One Vulcan Ozdemir decides to go ahead and get himself arrested. Insert lame joke about no time doing time. Anyways, details are scarce right now. And everyone knows 
that there are very few choir boys in the light heavyweight division, the champ being one. The former champ. The former champ. Uh, But the UFC cannot be in a rush to have another champion who plays fast and loose with laws. If the co-main event boys were running the UFC, what would your next move be for the light heavyweight division? Keep it as is. Gus Cormier 2, Stipe Cormier discourse. So yeah, Ben, uh, Vulcan Ozdemir. Uh, arrested on what was it? Some sort of bat? Was it aggravated battery? He was aggravated battery. That just don't sound good. Aggravated. That's worse than regular battery. Well, and he claims in the statement that it was a bar altercation in August. So probably you know coming off his his big win and wants to celebrate, go off to a bar and then gets into a a little tussle there, which he said was initiated by another bar patron, not him. And uh, then no time had to put the stamp on kids, perhaps. And that's how you end up here, where you have to show up and sit, cool your heels in the hooskow. But it's true that this is a bad time for something like this to happen if you're the UFC, because it's you're barely cobbling together this title fight as it was. Daniel Cormier you know, puts the belt back around his waist after losing it to John Jones. Then you turn around and you think, all right, well, here's kind of a, a contender dropped out of nowhere in Vulcan Ozdemir. We can make something out of that. It's not going to be a huge something, but it's going to be a little bit of something. You make it, and then this guy shows up in the news because he's got these battery charges, and you don't know exactly where that's going to go. So what do you do here? Do you, If you're the UFC, do you say, hey, innocent until proven guilty, we're going to go ahead and charge forward here and, and act like we can still keep this together? Or... Do you do one of the things where you're going to pull him out of the fight, have your own law firm investigate him and, and inevitably come up with nothing and then rebook somebody like, you know, and I think the Catman Jones throws out all pretty much the good options. Uh, Alexander Gustafson against Daniel Cormier, maybe, you know, Steve Bay Cormier seems like a little bit of a reach or maybe the, the, the paper boy Jimmy Manawa against Daniel Cormier. What do you do here? It's got to be Cormier versus Gustafson too, right? Like that—that that was a crackerjack fight the first time around, even though nobody bought it on pay per view. Aha! Uh-huh. There's the rub. Right, but I'm just saying, like you—you—you you, you, at this point, you are out of options at 205 pounds if uh, Volkan Ozdemir is going to be indisposed for a certain amount of time, and if you let Daniel Cormier go up to heavyweight, I'll, I don't—you might as well just melt that 205 pound belt down, right? <laughs> if you're, they're, they're, they're in need of the scrap metal? Yeah, make Dana White a new pinky ring or something. I don't know what you would do with it, but because, whew, without him heading up the top of the light heavyweight division, it is an ugly scene behind him. So if he's if he's willing to do it, I think you got to keep him at 205. And that have that that having been said, there's not a lot of, of options out there besides Alexander Gustafson from where I'm sitting. Yeah, well, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I wouldn't watch that fight again. That was a hell of a fight. No, yeah, it was a heck of a fight. Maybe maybe the people who missed out on it the first time would hear how good it was and sign up for it the second time. That's how it works, right? Sure. That's exactly how it works. The rematch of the, the fight that did terrible business does, yep. does great business. Yep, that's a given. Next question this week from Phil Jones. He writes... Oh, yeah. We got Phil Jones, huh? What, do you, what, uh, what soccer team do you think Phil Jones plays for? Uh, I'm just going to keep guessing Crystal Palace. Manchester United. Okay, well, there you go. Phil Jones, in air quotes, writes, with Colby Covington becoming the butt of everyone's jokes after reporting Boomerang Gate to the authorities, one has to wonder, when is it okay for a professional fighter to call the police? Or should they settle every matter with a session of good old-fashioned fisticuffs? Now, obviously, Ben, we're going to talk about Boomerang Gate a little bit more uh, as it pertains to Fabrizio Verdum in round number one. Uh, 
And I guess as a disclaimer, we should say that the official co-main event podcast position is don't go out in these th- streets and throw boomerangs at people. Yeah. But it was kind of funny to see Fabrizio Verdum cock his brand new boomerang, which... Still in the bag. I assume he bought it for his kids, right? I think he said he, somebody gave it to him. Like a fan gave it to him like in the hotel lobby. And then he walks out of the hotel and immediately throws it at somebody. Which, if you gave him that souvenir boomerang, do you feel A, proud, B, a little disappointed that he was so willing to part with it, C, complicit? All of the above, man, <laughs> I think. You know what would have been funny would be if the next night during the fight against uh, Marcin Tiburov, Right when the fight started, that same boomerang whipped out of the crowd and hit Tybura in the jaw and then returned to Verdum's hand as if drawn there by a string. <laughs> now, the the aspect about like Colby Covington, that, like, wh- what should his reaction in all this be? Part of me, since Colby Covington was obviously kind of working just like a, a heel gimmick to begin with when he started in on the Brazilians, which then uh, Verdun takes super seriously to the point where he has to throw a boomerang at the man. Uh, and I was thinking, like, all right, what what reaction do you want Colby Covington to have there? Because if he does nothing at all, then that seems like to kind of deflate a lot of his gimmick seems to me that if you're going to work the heel gimmick, you should go all the way with it. Not only should you call the cops, your next public appearance better be in a neck brace. Like, you had better show up on TV after that in a Bobby Heenan neck brace showing around your x-rays with some quack <laughs> doctor uh, who you hired to follow you around and talk about, like, the serious damages that you suffered and how you're going to sue Verdum. Like that's the only way to, to go heel with it. And if you're going to call the cops, you got to at least cower behind them, right? While the <laughs> cops hold Verdum back, you should cower. But this is, I, you know what? I think this is a legitimate question because obviously we have a double standard for the professional fighter. And it, it applies acutely to Colby Covington since he's swaggering around acting like the biggest badass we've ever seen. Uh, and then he calls the cops. Well, he said he also said Verdum sucker punched him. And we should throw that out there. It wasn't just the boomerang incident, although... You throw a boomerang at, the, at a guy, that's going to get most of the headlines. Uh, when is it okay for a professional fighter to call the police? Because I would say, under the circumstances that a normal person would call the police, I would maybe even have a lower standard for a professional fighter just because if you are a professional fighter, you don't want to be fighting out in the streets. Well, and in the, in this situation, what are you going to do? Like, you feel like you want some revenge somehow, right? Like you were wronged. Um, because you didn't have a boomerang when you were standing there in this verbal altercation out there on the streets. Well, that's a rookie mistake right there. <laughs> you're just going to walk around the streets of Australia without a boomerang? What, what the hell? Don't, don't you read a travel guide or something before you go somewhere? Taking your life in your own hands, yeah. Colby Covington. Um, but it's not like you're going to get a fight with Fabricio Verdum. It's not like you're going to tell the UFC, like, give me heavyweight Fabricio Verdum, who outweighs me by 60 pounds uh, and has, like, half a foot on me. Like, no, they're not going to do that. So then what are your choices like to wait to kind of to spend the rest of your life trying to catch rare doom slipping, uh, catch him, catch him in Japan when you run up with a throwing star or something is that, or, you know, maybe, maybe he'll go to the event and Shanghai and come up there with some nunchucks upside his head. Like what, what else are you going to do there other than either, I guess, turn it into a legal matter or nothing at all. And if, and if we're saying like the badass move would have been nothing at all after he hit by a boomerang, I don't know. Now see if Fabrizio Verdum 
approached me in an angry manner, I would call the motherfucking SWAT team. <laughs> I would call everyone. 911, send the fire department, the ambulance, which I will need momentarily, and and the special weapons and tactics team. Send them all. Or maybe you just try to lure him to a place where, like, whatever geographic weapon slash icon would be most to your advantage. Maybe you train. Like, if you train with one of those big, like, Swiss horn things and you try to lure him there and then attack him with one of those, then you've got the the, the advantage on him. My only hope would be to lure Fabrizio Verdum to some place where the floor was unstable and hope that he would <laughs> fall through because he weighs more than me. There you go. Like the, I would have to lure him out on the ice. That's not bad. That would be my only chance. That's not bad. And I did like the Twitter discussion this prompted about what would your region's signature thing to throw at somebody be? Gives you a real insight into how people at least view where they live. And what what was Montana's? What did you what did you put in? Oh well, I think if you come to Missoula and we gotta put you in check, we're throwing a PBR tall tall boy at your head, right? Either that or the keys to like your eighty six Dodge Ram. <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna be that effective. Last question this week comes to us from Nate Amos. Can we Google that? Sounds like it might be legit. Sounds like Nate Amos could be somebody's real name. Or it could be Nathaniel Amos, who is a Nigerian footballer who God currently plays for SC Goa. Heavy sigh. Or it could be actually somebody's name, and we can't trust anything anymore. That's right. That's well, what people have done to I'm us. Just, yeah, I'm so nervous trying to watch our back on this thing. Anyway, he writes, So we got to hear slash read the quote-unquote apology from Conor McGregor. Can we all just go ahead and collectively call bullshit on that far-fetched, excuse-laden dribble? Uh, I think I want to see him more crucified for the apology than for the actual cage jumping, official slapping, ref assaulting, fighter safety jeopardizing incident. Who besides uh, the Bling McGregor fanboys actually buys into that fairy tale he's trying to say is an apology? Now, Ben, when you put out a public apology accompanied by a selfie of you with a shit-eating grin on your face. Can only be described as a shit-eating grin. What message does that send about the apology? Well, and the apology itself, let's be honest, is not a good apology. I, I agree here that the apology arguably does a little more damage than the actual incident because at least when you're looking at what actually happens, you're going to be like, well, Conor McGregor was fired up, maybe under the influence even, uh, or at least under the influence of a lot of enthusiasm for his teammate. And got carried away, and fine. But then the apology, which comes after you've had a chance to think about it, and lays a lot of the blame at the door of the referee, who you kept shoving, and then uses somebody else's death as kind of cover for your actions, when that clearly was not on your mind at the moment you jumped the cage and pulled guard on your own teammate in order to celebrate with him, then, yeah, that that gets a little icky for me. Because this line that he's trying to sell is that he had witnessed the death of somebody at the hands of one of his teammates in a cage and never wanted to see that happen again and was concerned that Mark Godard was going to let the fight go even though he shouldn't and that's why he flipped out on Mark and it's like oh you were so concerned for the downed fighter that you shoved Mark Godard away from him as he's trying to check on him and then set off a melee that knocked the guy over several more times that was how you showed your concern nobody's buying that now see I feel like if you watch the video of Conor McGregor hopping over the top of the Bellator cage while wearing his velour tracksuit. It's obvious to me that that is a man driven by concern for fighter <laughs> safety. 
He just but, needs to get in there. He wants to let the cooler heads prevail yeah. and get in there, basically probably falling back on his own EMT training. Right. And show everyone the correct way to care for a fighter who could be in some physical distress. What you're saying is that the headline should really read, A Voice of Reason Leaps Into Cage Saves the Day. Conor McGregor saves lives. Saves life of fighter. Even if he has to slap a Bellator official to do it. <sighs> yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? I, I guess I also agree that the mob of uh, McGregor fanboys is still somewhat strong enough that there are still going to be people out there who accept that and who will, will act like that is a, a legit explanation for what happened. And I don't know. But I, I do feel when you do some stuff like this, you might be losing a little bit of the mob. Some of the mob are going to get to a point where they're like, okay, this I, I have to ring the bell and get off here at this point because it, this is not so cool. Just can't send the guy out to the fights. Just can't do it. Can't send him to the fights with the lads. How about this? Uh, Skybox. There he you go. gets an executive suite and the doors are locked so he can't leave. <laughs> there you go. I like that. It's a good, uh, it's a good go fix. Fights. Yeah. Anyway, that will do it for this week's listener mail. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the page. It says, email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out most Friday mornings to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. I would think maybe not this week, though. Since uh, no. Thursday is Thanksgiving. This will be Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Not I know do Ben Folks doesn't want to uh, pull his napkin out of the collar of his shirt, push himself away from the table, and lumber into the office. My napkin, write, by the way, uh, is, is the tablecloth itself. To write the BOC. Nope. Not doing it. There's too much tryptophan kicking around in your system. Probably pass out mid-sentence. So no BOC this week, but we will return to the Breakfast of Champions newsletter uh, the following Friday. It is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. of this week's co-main event podcast is once again brought to you by the good people at freshly freshly is the new meal delivery service that ships prepared fresh meals straight to your door freshly does all the prep leaving you no shopping no chopping no cleanup at this point if you haven't gone online to sign up for freshly i'm not sure what you're doing with yourself that's right chad all you have to do is go to freshly.com sign up for one of their four different meal plans select your meals for the week from the rotating menu and freshly sends them directly to you in a refrigerated box and all you have to do is just heat and eat each fresh meal is ready to go in about three minutes so they're perfect for people who live their lives on the go all the meals are fully prepared before you get them you just have to eat them up freshly is an easy and convenient option for eating healthier every day and it tastes great too Fridge full of fresh meals for the week. Hard to argue with that. Every meal freshly prepares is 100% all natural with no artificial flavors or preservatives, no refined sugar, and no gluten. On top of that, right now, Freshly is offering some real savings just for co-main event podcast listeners. Go to the website, Freshly.com. 
and use the promo code main event. That's main event, all one word, no spaces, no capitals to and to not only get $20 off your first order, but $20 off your second order too. That's $40 in savings just for you exclusively for being a friend of the CME. Just go to freshly.com today to get started. So Ben, in the main event of fight night, 121 down there in Sydney, Australia, Fabricio Verdum did in fact make it to the cage, despite uh, having some police intervention after tossing his boomerang at uh, Colby Covington. He goes out there and gets a unanimous decision win against Marcin Tiburo, which I think uh, didn't necessarily surprise anybody that Verdum was able to get that win over the replacement fighter Tiburo. I think, in fact, people were probably impressed uh, at Marcin Tiburo's uh, performance, if anything else, go in the distance out there with one of the best in the world in Fabricio Verdum. But for the purposes of this round, what I really wanted to talk about was, uh, A, the fact that, you know, Fabricio Verdum out there in action at 40 years old, uh, just looks pretty goddamn good as a, as a heavyweight fighter, clearly one of the best in the world. And yet outside of the cage, he's making it so damn hard to cheer for him. And it seems like such a 180 degree uh, flip-flop from back when it, it felt like he was uh, a feel-good story back when back when he uh, won the, the UFC heavyweight title uh, from, from Cain Velasquez down there in Mexico at UFC 188. What has happened to Fabricio Verdum? It's true because it did seem like for a while there the... The story on Fabricio Verdum was here is this big, charismatic, fun-loving guy uh, who just always seemed like he was having a good time, even if having a good time exclusively meant making the troll face and driving Chad Dundas crazy. But he seemed like kind of a, a respite from all the glowering badasses of the heavyweight division. You had Fabricio Verdum out there, just seemed like kind of a jokester, like he tried to have a good time. And But then it does seem like maybe, I don't know, the more we got to know him, uh, the more we begin to see some disturbing traits pop up. And, okay, so right now it seems like the thing that I really kind of can't get over with Fabrizio Verdum is how everybody has kind of given him shit for the whole aligning yourself with the Chechen dictator, allowing yourself to be used for political purposes in exchange for money uh, for, like, you know, a violently anti-gay dictator uh, and accused war criminal. Kind of seems like a territory you'd want to stay out of. And a lot of these other fighters, when the kind of heat came down over that stuff and when I believe they, for the first time, kind of heard exactly who this dude is and what his whole deal is, people like Chris Weidman and Frank Mir and stuff like that kind of tried to walk away from it. And Fabrizio Verdum has doubled down on it. And so it's like, even if you can... Looked the other way on, like, all right, him throwing around a gay slur, which for him kind of inconveniently dovetails with the whole situation of uh, what's going on in Chechnya and why people are paying attention to it anew. Or you feel like, I don't care that he hit the dude in the neck with a boomerang because I didn't like the particular dude he chose to hit, so therefore I'm all for it. Okay, but then how do you get around this one? Especially because as he walks out, he's shouting out the team. Like, it's like, you've heard, all right, like, you, you've heard from people who have said, like, hey, why do you keep associating with this team? Don't you realize the way that it is problematic for you to be taking a dictator's money? And still, like, not only is he still doing it, but it seems like he's more vocal about his support of it. And it just, that seems like uh, kind of baffling to me. I can't really understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, it's been a string of gaffes for Fabricio Verdum. I guess if we are going to mention again 
his using the anti-gay slur against Tony Ferguson during their media lunch uh, for the UFC a few weeks ago, we need to mention that Colby Covington also tossed one back at yeah. Fabrizio Verdum. Because we learned nothing in this. Sport. Right, which came uh, just a couple weeks after the Instagram video of Michael Bisping and Jorge Masvidal getting into it backstage before Bisping's last fight against GSP. And then there was where, Conor McGregor's at the same time where he had to go on TV and apologize for that one. Where Jorge Masvidal uses the same word in the direction of Michael Bisping, which makes you feel like, Imagine how often fighters are saying this words when someone is not videotaping them. Yes. Well, and they're the ones posting these videos in many instances. It's not even like – like sometimes it's like, okay, they're being caught on like a live mic basically. And in other times it's situations where like they shot the video and their, their manager or them posted it to the internet. So, yeah, not a whole lot of – Remorse going there, but also like very little response from the UFC. The UFC seems, you know, it's like, okay, Fabrizio Verdum's going to do some outreach, and then later he turns around and tells a Brazilian media outlet, no, I don't really have to do anything. Uh, and these other instances, no, nothing, nothing has really happened. Even Fabrizio Verdum, you're going to get our, get our conversation back on track here. Let me ask you this. When you heard Fabrizio Verdum has hit another fighter in the, the, neck with a boomerang a couple days before his fight did you entertain even for a moment the thought oh well maybe the ufc will pull him out of the fight maybe they won't let him have the main event fight because he just you know he's going to be charged with assault because he attacked another fighter with a what can only be described as a weapon like didn't even enter your mind i'll bet that the ufc might pull him from the fight as a result no i didn't i didn't even consider it ben i was at the event in minneapolis where jeremy stevens was arrested the day of the event, and Dana White went on social media to declare that he was going to get Jeremy Stevens out of the lockup in Minneapolis so that he could go to the cage and fight that night. Uh, it ended up not happening, but just the very declaration, the idea that they would do that, the, the, like that it would A, be a good idea to do that, and B, that it would be like a good idea for Jeremy Stevens to get plucked out of jail and be like, all right, my friend, Go fight on television. (laughs) Good luck to you. With Fabricio Verdun, though, it just seems like it would have been so easy for him to go down in mixed martial arts history as a beloved figure, right? Like the guy who uh, unexpectedly tapped out Fedor Emelianenko, then came to the UFC late in his career and won this title. He was a fun-loving guy, loved to joke around. Everybody liked him. Somebody who you could watch his progression and see him going from a jiu-jitsu guy to a full all-around fighter. Right, because you watch him out here against Marcin Tybura, and it's not like they had a real barn burner or anything like that. But Verdum just looked so good in this fight. Uh, and so experienced, like being very smooth in his striking combinations and mixing in his grappling and really seeming that it, he knows when to take chances and when to be a little bit conservative. Uh, just like he's putting it all together as a fighter here as he gets into his 40s, uh, which if you're a heavyweight, that's the time that you want to do it because then you're right in the wheelhouse with yeah. everybody else. Uh, and yet he's just is dogged by these sort of out of the cage uh, problems that he just continues to have one after another. And it makes me wonder, like, we, I guess we just didn't know him at first when we thought he was just a fun loving jokester. And now we've kind of seen him reveal himself in, in a more complete way, but it just seems so kind of regrettable that that, that has happened. Yeah. And, you know, I heard him commenting on this afterwards and he was saying like, Hey, I was, you know, in this thing with Colby Covington and I was going to throw whatever was in my hands. If I'd had a a cake or a pie in my hands, I would have thrown that. And you think there's got to be an alternate reality 
where instead of giving him a boomerang, a fan provides Fabrizio Verdum with a, a lavish cupcake with a lot of icing on it. And he throws that at, at Colby Covington. And it's awesome because it is not a weapon. It's nothing that can really be considered assault, but it's also humiliating to get hit in the face with a cupcake. And then you can keep your image as both like the fun-loving jokester, but also the, the professional fighter to be taken seriously. And instead, you take an aerodynamic stick and you hit somebody else in the head with it from like close range, and it just gets a little different there. And then like his response to it is like, yeah, when he comes back to deal with the charges, he's going to bring his whole family and they're going to have a great vacation because Australia is awesome. And you just feel like, all right... I guess people are going to give you a pass to some extent on it because it's Colby Covington, even though Colby Covington is basically running the Chael Sonnen stick. So, you know, it's the same thing. If you feel like Chael Sonnen deserved to be hit in the, in the head with a boomerang, maybe. Uh, but it, if this is what he's taking from this stuff, what reason is there at all to think that Fabricio Verdum realizes Fabricio Verdum might be kind of problematic outside the cage? Like, he's clearly not getting the message about the Chechen fight team. He's not getting the message about, you know, attacking other fighters outside the cage. I mean, he's escalating, if anything. He went from, like, standing up and being vaguely threatening to Tony Ferguson as he's you know, calling him gay slurs to then actually, like, hitting somebody with something in the next altercation. Like, it seems like this is a pattern of behavior that is headed in a more troubling or more potentially dangerous direction, and he's not getting from anybody the message like, hey, you need to check this stuff. Yeah, uh... Plus, now you want a title shot after that? You beat Mar Marcin Tybura and Walt Harris, and then, and you beat Marcin Tybura on a week where you also ended up getting charged by the local authorities, and then you go out there and you want a title shot. I don't think the UFC wants to give you that opportunity right now. Well, don't you think it's like when you come out and say, no, man, I would have thrown anything at, like whatever was in my hands, I would have thrown at this person that I got in, in an altercation with? That's both telling and also like, Think about that, man. <laughs> Think about what you just said. Like Forty-year-old man. Yeah, you just would have thrown whatever was in your hands at another person. Well, Ben, you want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Sure. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, after the end of UFC Fight Night 121 in Sydney, Australia, uh, which I believe went on record as the longest UFC event, what we had like 13 fights in this thing. It certainly, certainly felt like a long UFC event sitting there from start to finish. Uh, and the highlight definitely in terms of a competitive close matchup was the fight between Frank Camacho and Damian Brown. Uh, those two guys really went at it. It was ended up being like a catchweight fight on the prelims because uh, Frank Camacho missed weight. Uh, so they fought at 160 pounds, but it was obviously the fight of the night. And on the post-fight show on Fox Sports 1, they said, well, since Frank Camacho uh, ineligible for the bonus, uh, we're going to give his end of the bonus to Damian Brown. So instead, Damian Brown would go home with $100,000, which since he lost a very close decision, I'm sure he would have been very grateful to have. And then the UFC, uh, at least on the scene, told our man, uh, John Morgan, no, actually not going to do that. Um, just Frank Camacho is just not going to get the bonus. Damian Brown doesn't get any extra money, which again, remember all that best year ever stuff? It's the best year in the history of the business, and uh, this money that you've already budgeted for, that you're already planning to give away, now you're just apparently going to keep in your pocket? Are you fucking kidding me? Those two things are hard to square together. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, USADA strikes again. Heavyweight fighter 
James Mulherin was pulled out of his scheduled fight at UFC uh, Shanghai this weekend due to a uh, potential out-of-competition drug test violation. Now, if you can chase down a picture of James Mulherin, going to do it right now. If you had asked me to pick one person on the UFC Shanghai fight card that I was 100% was not on PEDs, I would have said James Mulherin. Seems a little jiggly. So are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. are that Kelvin Gastelum is pretty pumped about the opponent shift at UFC Fight Night 122 in Shanghai this weekend, saying that Michael Bisping is actually the bigger fight than Anderson Silva, and the crazy thing about it is when you think about it, he's totally right. What the hell happened? How did we get here? Have we Has the space-time continuum like ripped and we're living in the, you know, the wacky version of reality? That that is a factual statement that a a middleweight fight against Michael Bisping is a bigger deal than a middleweight fight against Anderson Silva. Well, yeah, I mean, when you think about it through the lens that as of November 3rd of this year, some, what, 17 days ago, uh, Michael Bisping was still the UFC middleweight champion and Anderson Silva has kind of slumped toward the end of his career into his 40s uh, with a, now a couple of drug test violations and, and some losses uh, I guess you can see where Kelvin Gastelum is coming from, that uh, just in terms of like the grand scheme of the middleweight division, Michael Bisping certainly is a much, much bigger fight than Anderson Silva at this point. Though, I think we have to be, I think we have to say relatively speaking, right? Because no matter who Kelvin Gastelum is fighting in this bout, it's still the main event of a UFC Fight Pass event uh, from Shanghai, China, that's going to air in the middle of the night. The middle of the damn night on here, Thanksgiving weekend. On Thanksgiving weekend here in the in the United States. So air quotes around much, much bigger fight. Like, it's all kind of relative. But still, okay, if you just think about it in terms of two weeks from now when we look back on it and we look at Kelvin Gastelum's record, what would be more meaningful? Win over Anderson Silva, win over Michael Bisping. And he's right. A win over Michael Bisping right now would be more significant, even though people are going to say, well, Michael Bisping, you know, three weeks removed from his fight against GSP, maybe shouldn't have taken it in the first place. But it's true that it's Anderson Silva has – the brand has diminished so much even before this second failed drug test that it would probably just seem like, all right, you know, you would put more air quotes around the legends in the Legends Ass Whooping Tour at this point for Anderson, for 42-year-old Anderson Silva. Uh, but if you do go out there and you beat Michael Bisping, even if absolutely nobody sees it at least live, uh, you know, that does still feel pretty meaningful. Is this a pivotal fight, you think, for Kelvin Gastelum? Because, you know, he, he had the trouble making weight down there at, at welterweight, moves up to middleweight, and has been pretty good. You know, had the win over Tim Kennedy and then the win over 
uh, Vitor Belfort that was eventually overturned because he tested positive for marijuana. When I say he, I mean Kelvin Gastelum. But then had the the fight against Chris Weidman where he lost uh, via third round arm triangle choke in in a fight that was really kind of a, a a flag in the sand moment for Chris Weidman, saying like I'm still here, I'm still a dominant force at 185 pounds. If Kelvin Gastelum goes out there and somehow gets bispinged, like if Kelvin Gastelum gets picked apart over the course of, of five rounds. Okay, see, that would be going to be my next question as to how would you see him getting bispinged? Well, he, let's say either way. Let's say he could either get knocked out in the first round or he gets Michael bispinged. Do you come come out of this fight being with a different view of Kelvin Gastelum middleweight contender than you had going in? Yeah, well, I guess it deter- it depends on me. Like with the Chris Weidman one, you could see that size was a factor there. And so, okay, I, that one for me, honestly, put a little more, uh, believability behind his claim that like, hey, he was not big enough to do it at well, or middleweight. Um, because I felt like when he went out there and he beat somebody like Tim Kennedy, you're like, okay, well, hey, man, if you can beat Tim Kennedy, then middleweight should not be a huge problem for you. And, uh, then, you know, beats Vitor, a, a very diminished version of Vitor, but still, you know, I don't see Michael Bisping, though, being able to do the same thing that Chris Weidman can do as, as terms of just like, you know, using that, that physicality and strength as a real advantage. It seems like he would have to pick him apart, beat him with just kind of cardio endurance and chip away at him over the course of the fight. I mean, I think it would make a big difference how he lost. If he, if he lost with a, a somewhat close decision, you know, not a huge deal. If he gets knocked out in the first round by Michael Bisping, who doesn't typically knock a whole lot of people out, then yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Then I would think, all right, do whatever you have to do to get back to welterweight because there is no future at middleweight. Yeah, and I think you're right to say that it sort of necessarily has to be a different sort of fight than the fight that Kelvin Gastelum had against Chris Weidman. I also wonder on the flip side, like if Kelvin Gastelum wins this fight, will we look at it and say, wow, that's amazing. Kelvin Gastelum just being the guy who three weeks ago was the UFC middleweight champion. If not for the return of George St. Pierre, Kelvin Gastelum could be the champ right now. And we'll, you know, we lift him on our shoulders and carry him around the cage. Or do we look at this win over Michael Bisping and say, well, Michael Bisping was, was not really considered the dominant best fighter in the middleweight division. Even when he was the champion, we all kind of, you know, took his title reign with a grain of salt. Uh, we knew what it was, sort of like the equivalent of getting the gold watch at your 25-year uh, retirement party uh, that you're out there fighting Dan Henderson and taking instead of taking on the cream of the middleweight uh, crop. And, oh, by the way, also just fought and lost to George St. Pierre a few weeks ago. I wonder if we will be more apt to look at a, a Kelvin Gastelum victory and kind of uh, undercut it rather than... than Think of it as a thing that that is a big moment for Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, I think there's going to be some undercutting going on if he beats Michael Bisping. I don't think that there's really any way he wins this and it's the carry him around the cage on our shoulders moment. But I think, you know, if he goes out there and he knocks out Michael Bisping, say, like in the first round or the first first or second round, uh, I think people are going to say, well, all right. I mean, hey, he beat the guy who was the middleweight champ just a few weeks ago uh, and who even when people did not see him as the champion – still had to admit that he was one of the best fighters at middleweight who did not get all the credit that he deserved at all times. And you go out there and you beat that guy, even if he is three weeks off the last fight, that's still uh, a valid win. And then, you know, when you look at his his uh, record after that, it's like, all right, you beat Tim Kennedy, Vitor Belfort, Michael Bisping, only with a loss to Chris Weidman in there. 
like you're a player. You're a player in the division at that point, even if it can be undercut a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't think that it's going to be a huge win for him if he wins, but I, I do think that it's going to be significant. The question is, uh, anybody going to see it? Anybody going to, or are we just going to move right past it? I don't think they'll be putting out press releases uh, advertising the numbers of sus- subscribers that tuned in to watch this thing. No. It's not going to be a landmark achievement in the history of streamed mixed martial arts events. Uh, I guess lastly, before we leave this one, the whole Anderson Silva thing. Uh, I wrote a column about this today, but it has seemed really odd to me at how the first time Anderson Silva failed a drug test, it was a big goddamn deal. And there were fighters out there being like, well, this is kind of heartbreaking to know that Anderson Silva, like a hero of ours, uh, was doping. But even then, you could be like, okay, well, he broke his leg and he tried to come back and he was nearly 40. So you could kind of understand. But then this one, he fails this one. And I don't know if we saw the couple of statements that he finally made after several days went by on social media. And he finally came out with a statement on, on Instagram and then another statement. At no point does he say, I didn't do this. Or, like, please wait until all the facts are in. Or, like, I damn it, I'm innocent. This is all bullshit. Like, he's not protesting this one super hard, which tells you something. Because if you didn't do it, man, you would not waste any time jumping up there and telling us that you didn't do it. His really tepid response to it is basically an admission. And the response from everybody for the second one is just kind of like, eh, who are we going to get for that fight, though? Michael Bisping? Okay, I'll take that. That's acceptable change. Nobody seems to really care anymore. Everybody's just kind of like, all right, well, we, if Anderson Silva has to be done this way, maybe we'd be okay with that. Yeah, and I think people just don't want to think that a late career steroid test from Anderson Silva means that he was on steroids the whole time, right? We were much. But you'd have to ask yourself that, right? Yeah, we're much more comfortable thinking about it like, oh, he's in his 40s. He's coming back from that devastating injury. Uh, he's, you know, he's just sort of like using these steroids as he segues out of the of the fighting career. It's like it reminds me. Remember how people damn near bent over backwards doing psychological gymnastics to try to explain away. Uh, the first loss to Chris Weidman. Yeah. Just like in the wake of that loss, people were like, well, Anderson Silva wasn't even really fighting and all, like just fallen all over themselves to try to erase that from history. It just seems like Anderson Silva had earned such a special place in the heart of the mixed martial arts hardcore fan that they wanted to explain away that loss. And now in the twilight of his career, uh, maybe minimize as much as possible the two now positive steroid tests. Yeah. You remember when he went before the Nevada State Athletic Commission and they asked him how many times before this he'd been subject to out-of-competition kind of random testing? Somehow that that exchange didn't burn itself in my memory banks. Zero was the answer. So basically, as soon as that era started, uh, he started getting popped, which tells you something. Can I read you a quote uh, from Michael Bisping? Oh, please do. Just in case you were wondering if he's being totally Michael Bisping. (laughs) Please, please do. About this fight. He says... I'll eat some good Chinese food and hopefully kick Kelvin's ass. Nice. So. Real nice. Michael Bisping has this sort of like almost uh, guy down at the pub attitude about this at this point. Sort of like, well, I'm going to show up. Which is the way to go, honestly. Everyone's going to know there's been a fight, right? Like I'm that I'm good enough that everyone will know that there's been a fight. And hopefully I'll win. So there you are. And I'll, I'll bring some souvenirs back for the kids. Yeah, stuffed lion. Yeah. <laughs> stuffed lion and a stuffed cat for the kids. There you go. Maybe a keychain. 
Snow globe, perhaps? Hilarious onesie for the baby? Yeah, I like it. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. this if you go to ufc.com and click the upcoming events tab and then click on ufc 219 uh parenthetically the historically gala end of the year pay-per-view for the ufc scheduled for december 30th of this year you will note that the main event fight still features two faceless silhouettes and is listed as to be announced versus to be determined, which I love that. It sounds like a hell of a fight. Yeah, it's Those not. Two. It's TBA like, versus TBD. That's right. They're not going to do TBD versus TBD. That'd be ridiculous. Not going to do TBA versus TBA. We've all seen it. But TBA versus TBD, that's some next level matchmaking. There's a lot of stuff wrong with the UFC 219 page at UFC.com. They got Cyborg versus Home up there listed as ready to go as the co-main event, despite the fact that we don't have a main event yet. And then you've also got Dominic Cruz versus Jimmy Rivera still listed as part of the pay-per-view card, despite the fact that Dominic Cruz uh, pulled out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's done just been scratched. It's not, it's still not on breaking there. news that yeah. Dominic Cruz is out of this thing. Uh, but we've had a lot of rumors. We've had some reports, maybe Tyron Woodley versus Nate Diaz as the main event here. So I guess just to open up this round and our discussion about what should be a big end of the year pay-per-view for the UFC, seemingly mired in chaos. What's really going on, Ben, with UFC 219? Yeah, I guess at this point, what you're scrambling for is some kind of name value that will give it that must-watch feel. Because right now, I feel like... In total, you do have a pretty solid fight card here. You know, you, you, you got the cyborg home fight. You know, if you can actually keep that one on there, you got Carlos Condit and Neil Magny. Okay. You know, would watch there. You got Kamaru Usman and Emil Meek. Uh, you got your boy Nurmi, uh, and Edson Barboza, uh, assuming Nurmi Gomedov does not again get hurt there. Uh, you know, you got some, some good fights on here. But it does seem like you need that extra, like, here's somebody who is at least semi-close to being a star in order to sell it. And it seems like, especially, like, as you said, the way they immediately positioned Cyborg and uh, Holly Holm as the co-main event, they clearly don't think that's the fight. That's not the one they want to hang their hat on. So what is? I'm saying if I'm cooking dinner in the other room, I'm telling somebody, you come get me. When Khalil Roundtree versus Gokan Saki comes up, <laughs> okay. you come get All me because right. I want to watch that. Yeah, and come get me when the introductions start because it's not going to last that long. Like I don't don't think that. Like, okay, I'll come get him if there's a break in the action in round one because that break in the action is likely to be the end of the fight. You're familiar with the cartoon wolf that when he looks at the Roadrunner or a chicken that he sees. Uh, a cooked dinner. Yeah. The, cooked the, turkey with the steam coming out of yeah, it and everything. Yeah. You're familiar with that, right? That's right. That's Tyron Woodley right now on all of the MMA news shows 
just doing everything he can to shame Nate Diaz into taking this fight because as everyone who has followed the uh, current welterweight champion's career knows, Tyron Woodley wants to make some money, which frankly, I don't think you can blame him for. I think Tyron Woodley should try to get the biggest money fight he possibly can. I think right now he is seeing Nate Diaz as that opponent and also a guy who he can probably uh, maybe not mop the floor with because you don't want to think that either Diaz brother is going to be an easy fight for anybody at this stage uh, in their career, but certainly a fight where Tyron Woodley would be heavily favored against Nate Diaz. Yeah, well, and like you said, I don't blame him for trying any tactic that he thinks is going to get him a a fight that's going to pay him. I also don't think you're going to shame Nate Diaz. Well, no. You're not going to don't be scared, homie. uh, Don't be scared, homie. Like, you're not going to, you can't bullshit a bullshitter, and you can't don't scared, homie, to a don't scared, homie. It just doesn't work that way. Nate Diaz is not going to, he, I mean, I'm sure if the UFC offers him enough money, he'll get up off the couch or get up more likely get off the triathlon bike, jump in there and do it. But you're not just going to appeal to his sense of pride to the point when he's going to feel like he has to prove something and jump in there and fight you. You know, we we talk about the era of fun fights, this uh, Endeavor era in the UFC now where we think the championships maybe don't mean as much as they once did, where the, uh, you know, rigid weight class system has broken down a little bit. You've got guys jumping all around trying to make these quote-unquote super fights. Is Woodley versus Diaz kind of, I don't want to say the straw that breaks the camel's back, but is it like a step too far? Do you hear about Woodley versus Diaz and think, oh man, I don't know about that one. I don't know that I see the uh, the appeal. Well, see, the problem with it is not that it's like too ridiculous or too far-fetched compared to some of the other stuff we've done. The problem is that it feels like an attempt at replicating that money fight just for the hell of it because it seems like it would be fun uh, appeal, but it doesn't quite get there. And so like, I think it it kind of bums people out by reminding them of like what you're doing, but we can see the strings on the puppet a little too clearly in that one. And so it, I think that's what bothers people about it. And it's not like they wouldn't watch that fight. I mean, you know, you throw a, a Diaz in there, it's, that's going to be interesting. Uh, and you need something interesting for Tyron Woodley at this point, because people aren't super fired up about seeing him fight. So on paper, that part of it kind of makes sense. Like you can see how added to a card that's already pretty solid, people might get into it. But I think that it does feel like the artifice of it all is a little too evident. Yeah, I guess in the, in favor of that fight, I will just say anecdotally, the two guys that were, uh, standing behind me, in the TSA check line this morning at the Las Vegas airport, traveling in their sweats. Because that's, that's what the young people do. Oh, here we just go. Just travel in their sweats. Old man. I'm sure you were there in your fedora and uh, bow tie. My three-piece suit. Had to put my bone-handled cane through the uh, metal detector. Uh, they were, they both, were like, does this have a sword in it? And you were like, of course it has a sword in it. I'm not going to carry a cane that doesn't have a sword in it, young man. Uh, they were both talking about Woodley versus Diaz, the possibility of that. So, Did they seem pro or con? They seemed like ain't no way the UFC gets Nate Diaz to do that huh. was sort of their, so their take on it. So they were, you know, fairly educated observers. Yeah, next week they're actually going to host this show. Okay. Those two guys, probably in their sweats. I look forward to just it. Just lounging around in their sweats. Uh, why not just do this thing with uh, Home versus Cyborg as the main event, which uh, if you continue to check your watch over the next couple weeks, might be what just ends up happening anyway. Uh, the news will just show up on my watch. 
Well, you got one of those Apple watches, don't you? Get out of here. Apple pocket watch? You know I'm rocking the swatch till the day I die. Yeah, no, I mean, if you tell me that that's the main event, I'm not going to sit here and be like, hey, that's that's a shitty main event. Obviously, that's a, a fight I would watch. Cyborg is uh, somebody people care about. Home would be the most legitimate challenge that she has faced in the UFC. So people are going to be into that. Are they going to be, oh boy, it's the end of the year card. Let's invite all our friends and make sure we all get to see this pay-per-view into it. Or are they going to be hang around and watch the gifts the next morning into it? That's that's your problem if you're the UFC. I would think that that Cyborg versus Holm is more than just a watch the gifts fight. I would I would like to think. I'd like to watch the whole fight. So would I. Not just the, uh, not just the gifts. Uh you, see, you hear yourself saying gifts? Doesn't it feel right? I'm just trying to throw everyone a curveball. Okay. So keep them on their toes. And they're, they're not sure what's going on. You want to do just saying stuff? Sure. And we'll get out of here for this week? Yes. Well, Ben, I wanted to do my just saying stuff on a boomerang gate related topic. I know that we have talked about it at length this show and, and done our best to condemn the idea of throwing a boomerang at someone out in these streets. But I do want to just say, I'm just saying this week, one of the things that remains interesting about covering the sport of mixed martial arts is that you never know. You never know when you wake up in the morning if somebody is going to huck a boomerang at somebody else and suddenly it's a legendary day. It's a day that years from now when you're like, hey, remember that time that... uh uh, Fabricio Verdum threw that boomerang at Colby Covington. Well, hell yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Just still talking about it years from now. You never know when that's going to happen. And I would wager the Adam Schefters of the world out here covering the NFL don't have that day no. as, as many times as we do. I'm just saying. I'd also wager that maybe if you're an NFL player who throws a boomerang at somebody two days before a game, it, things don't proceed just completely normally. Just saying. What's your just saying stuff? My just saying stuff is also boomerang related. Oh, wow. Two dueling boomerang just saying stuff. Because, and did you see the initial response, the initial statement from the UFC on this when everybody's like, hey, what, if anything, are you going to do? Or what is going to be your justification for doing absolutely nothing? Uh, And the response from the UFC was that they were going to investigate it to see if there had been a violation of the athlete conduct policy. And so I am just saying, I want to see. The code of conduct in which throwing a boomerang at a coworker is not a violation. Please show it to me. Produce such a code of conduct which somebody apparently felt, okay, we need a set of rules and like decorum codified and written out for everyone to see so that they know what is expected of them. But also, if you were to say, get in an argument with somebody and then throw a big heavy stick at their neck, that would not be a violation of it. Please, show me that code of conduct because I can't wait to read it. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, what you do is you go to the Google Doc uh-huh. that uh, contains the UFC athlete code of conduct. You click on the search search function. Maybe the find button opens up the, the form there and you type in boomerang. And if it says no results found, <laughs> you're, you're good. Clear? You're good to go, man. Okay. No, I kind of get it. Or maybe if maybe it's like a flow chart and it's like, did you hit somebody with a boomerang? Yes. Was he talking shit? Yes. Oh, then you're fine. I think that's how it goes. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to tell you about all the stuff that happens at Fight Night Bisping versus Gastelum and look ahead to a busy next week. In the fighting world, the the ultimate fighter finale and uh, UFC 218 
headlined by uh, Max Holloway's rematch with Jose Aldo. So that'll be fun. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So when I'm up early on Saturday morning watching this fight card from Shanghai, do you want me to just text you don't, updates? You don't have to text me updates. Okay, or so like... I'll be good. Uh, you know, maybe something really happens, really awesome happens, I'll call you. You know How about what? that? I'm just going to go ahead and put it on Do Not Disturb. You know, I'd put the phone on Do Not Disturb. Okay. So Before I go to bed that night. If it's really great, I should come over. I should just pound on the door. You know what? Maybe 3 a.m. till you won't believe what happened on the prelims. If you drag yourself over here at 3 a.m., it better be good. Somebody better have blocked a boomerang.